Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Coogee Voice. Today's guest is Teela Reid, the 2020 UNSW Young Alumni of the Year. Teela is an activist, lawyer and proud Wiradjuri and whale round woman from Gilgandra in Western New South Wales. She's currently a defence lawyer at Legal Aid New South Wales and a passionate advocate for abolishing systematic racism in the criminal justice process and the Aboriginal constitution. Teela was named the UNSW Law Dean's Woman of Excellence list and was the first Aboriginal person to be elected to the UNSW Law Society as Vice President. Teela joins us today to discuss the establishment of the Willamma Court process in New South Wales, as well as Indigenous constitutional recognition and the need to acknowledge the Uluru Statement from the Heart. I think one of the important things to really understand about the Uluru Statement though is it's not issued to politicians, it's an invitation to the Australian people. And I myself, as an advocate for the statement, have travelled virtually across the country in the three years since it was dismissed by the government. And I do think on this issue, the Australian people are ahead of the politicians in terms of accepting the statement and what it calls for. This should be a really critical issue for all non-Aboriginal people as well. Tila, welcome to Coogee Voice. How are you going today? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, I know that you are a proud Wiradjuri and well-round woman. When did you move to the eastern suburbs and Gadigal land? I'm Western New South Wales, um, Gilgandra in Western New South Wales. I was born and raised, yeah, in a small country town. I did my entire public education in my little town and I moved to the eastern suburbs when I was accepted into my postgraduate Juris Doctor degree at UNSW, which was the beginning of 2013. Just taking a step back, I've read that your original career was actually to be a teacher and you chose to become a lawyer in 2010. What made you want to make this career change? So, yeah, I did my undergraduate degree in a double bachelor, which was secondary teaching and health and physical education. And so I was a teacher before I changed to a career in law. And I guess The pivotal thing for that was when I was selected to be Australia's Indigenous Youth Delegate at the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues in New York. And I was selected for that role in 2010. And I came back and continued to teach, but I had felt an urge to continue that advocacy within the the law. And I, yeah, decided to to be a lawyer. I think that's a really wonderful frame as well. There are so many young people at the moment who are coming out of Year 12, thinking about what they want to do. The idea as well that your undergraduate degree doesn't need to define who you are for the rest of your life, I think is a like a very good narrative to be telling as well. Now, you're here today to really talk to us about two main things. First one is that of the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Tilla. What is the Uluru Statement from the Heart? 
The Uluru Statement from the Heart is a call to action to uh, the Australian people. But before we talk about it a bit more, I might read that statement right now for those who have not um, perhaps heard of it. So this is the Uluru Statement from the Heart. We gathered at the 2017 National Constitutional Convention coming from all points of the southern sky make this statement from the heart. Our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes were the first sovereign nations of the Australian continent and its adjacent islands and possessed it under our own laws and customs. This our ancestors did according to the reckoning of our culture from the creation, according to the common law from time immemorial and according to science more than 60,000 years ago. This sovereignty is a spiritual notion. The ancestral tie between the land or mother nature and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who were born therefrom remain attached thereto and must one day return thither to be united with our ancestors. This link is the basis of the ownership of the soil or better of sovereignty. It has never been ceded or extinguished and coexists with the sovereignty of the crown. How could it be otherwise that peoples possessed a land for 60 millennia and this sacred link disappears from world history in merely the last 200 years? With substantive constitutional change and structural reform, we believe this ancient sovereignty can shine through a fuller expression of Australia's nationhood. Proportionally, we are the most incarcerated people on the planet. We are not an innately criminal people. Our children are alienated from their families at unprecedented rates. This cannot be because we have no love for them. And our youth languish in detention in obscene numbers. They should be our hope for the future. These dimensions of our crisis tell plainly the structural nature of our problem. This is the torment of our powerlessness. We seek constitutional reforms to empower our people and take a rightful place in our own country. When we have power over our destiny, our children will flourish. They will walk into worlds and their culture will be a gift to their country. We call for the establishment of the First Nations voice enshrined in the constitution. Makarata is the culmination of our agenda the coming together after a struggle. It captures our aspirations for a fair and truthful relationship with the people of Australia and a better future for our children based on justice and self-determination. We seek a Makarata Commission to supervise a process of agreement making between governments and First Nations and truth telling about our history. In 1967, we were counted in 2017, we seek to be heard. We leave base camp and start our vast track across this country. We invite you to walk with us in a movement of the Australian people for a better future. And that's the Uluru Statement from the Heart. It's um, incredibly powerful and beautiful and moving in terms of where government is at with it are you able to provide some framework around that? With the 
response to the Uluru Statement from the Heart um, from the government. We know that in 2017, at that point in time, it was Prime Minister Turnbull um, who was leading the government. And of course, we know he subsequently dismissed it. I think one of the important things to really understand about the Uluru Statement, though, is it's not issued to politicians. It's an invitation to the Australian people. And I myself, as an advocate for the statement, have travelled virtually across the country in the three years since it was dismissed by the government. And I do think on this issue, the Australian people are ahead of the politicians in terms of accepting the statement and what it calls for. With respect to uh, where it is in terms of federal politics, because this is a federal um, call for, for change. And we have had the dismissal. However, we know in February this year, Prime Minister Scott Morrison made a, a general statement around close the gap. And before that, there was a joint select committee on constitutional recognition with respect to First Nations peoples. And that report was delivered in November 2019. And that basically reasserted that, and that was a multi parliamentary report joint select committee that said the only option on the table is the enshrinement of a First Nations voice. Where it's at now is that in response to that report there is a co-design process happening with hand-picked uh, community leaders uh, led by um, the Minister for Indigenous Indigenous Australians, Minister Wyatt, and that process will take its course. Um, now and so we're up to to that in terms of the government side but um in terms of you know there is a completely different story I think when it comes to to the Australian people's response because that side of it we know multiple polls now in light of government dismissals continue to get between 49 and up to 60 over 60 percent um, of Australians voting yes that they would support a First Nations voice so it's incredible um, that the people have kept this movement alive um, in light of the way in which the government have dismissed it. There are three key elements to reform set out in the Uluru Statement constitutional change, legislative change, and the Makarata Commission. Are you able to explain those three key elements a little bit more to listeners? Yes. So broadly speaking, the call to action um, that's gifted in the statement is voice treaty truth. So those three changes and, and they're sequenced. So the first step in terms of responding to the invitation at in the Uluru Statement, what is called for is the enshrinement of a First Nations voice. And that simply means that we need a referendum for the Australian people to be able to vote yes, which would enable a provision within the Australian Constitution that would be the mandate then to set up that voice. And that's why, you know, the, the design process is happening. And that's the first step, the referendum uh, for the voice. The second thing is then once the voice is established is to set up a Makarata commission. And 
I should say that makarata is a Yongu word um, that was gifted to this statement and it means the coming together after a struggle. And the purpose of the Makarata Commission is twofold. It would be to enable a process of treaty and truth-telling. And the reason why that is second in, in the steps called for is because in order for those to be established, for the Makarata to be established, is we first need to accept that there are many many different voices within the Aboriginal community and many different nations. So that's, yeah, it's what it calls for, a voice and a Makarata Commission to enable treaty and truth-telling. Very simply, why is this important and what difference would it make? And I, I say simply, but, and I understand it's not simple and this is an incredibly complex and important thing, but for people who don't know anything about the Uluru Statement, why is this important? It's important because it addresses unfinished business in our nation's story. The exclusion of First Nations when Australia became a federation is still a critical issue that we have not yet addressed. So simply voting yes for a First Nations voice would be acknowledging that Australia's history is not just 250 years old, that it's 60,000 years. So that's, yeah, you know, it's, it's a moral question in many ways. Now, the statement from the heart discusses Aboriginal incarceration. Very clearly, it articulates proportionally that Aboriginals are the most incarcerated people on the planet. And for our listeners, if you don't understand what that means, Aboriginal people constitute less than 3% of the New South Wales population, but make up about a quarter of its prison population. And these figures are nothing short but staggering. How can this one thing be resolved? And we can talk about the establishment and the need for the Walama Court. In the Uluru Statement, there were two critical issues that were raised, substantive issues. Of course, one of them was incarceration and the other one was care and protection with respect to children. The Walama Court is really a proposal for the New South Wales jurisdiction to establish a court that basically is an Aboriginal sentencing court that enacts itself at the district court level to to divert Aboriginal people in light of these really awful statistics that you mentioned to act as a mechanism to divert Aboriginal people away from the criminal justice system because we are being disproportionately affected by it. And, you know, it's not a soft option. It certainly is a tough option in terms of what is proposed because, you know, for many Aboriginal people, the Wallama Court it would include the inclusion of our elders and respected peoples to sit beside judges within those courtrooms. And I think that that is such a powerful part of what is proposed is that Aboriginal offenders are not just coming before judges or magistrates like they usually would, that they actually have to front up to the elders within their communities. And I think that that is such a powerful tool in this process. You're talking about diversion and rehabilitation rather than punitive punishment or sending people to jail. Is there evidence that this works? And also, has there been precedence? 
So we know very clearly in New South Wales that the drug court has reduced recidivism by 37%. And Boxar has released some data this year that has identified that. We also know in addition to that, that data has been released in relation to how circle sentencing courts reduce recidivism. So we know even if you take, for example, the drug court statistics, that there is a powerful ability within these frameworks to be able to address the conduct that underlies the reason why people come before court. So obviously with the drug court, it's drug issues or substance misuse issues. And that's a referral-based court where, you know, people are dealt with to, to address those issues. If you think about Wallama, you know, it's not just substance use issues that, that are confronting Aboriginal people that come before the courts. It's a history of intergenerational trauma. It's a history of over-policing or living in vulnerable communities. So it's not just the substance issue with respect to Wallama. The word Wallama was gifted to the working party of which I'm part of, and that means to return, to reconnect. And that's a Darug word. And, you know, the purpose of Wallama is much broader than just a drug court. It's designed to to hear the full stories of these people that come before the court and to enable them to tell their story in a safe and culturally respected way. Sheila, we're going through an economic crisis. People would ask the question, what would this cost and why should it be a priority now? We always get, you know, well, what do things cost? Well, in fact, it costs so much more to lock people up than it does to divert them. New South Wales, for example, had committed $3.8 billion to building more prisons when we know it's much cheaper to divert people into the community. So the the cost-benefit analysis of Wallama will, in fact, over time, be projected to, to be saving the community in terms of cost but not only you know this is not just about an economic benefit there are human benefits to this the fact that people are brought into a space that is created for them to to be safe enough to tell their story but also to assist and enable their rehabilitation is so important I think one of the difficulties when you try and speak about I get, you know, changes to the criminal justice process is is often about an economic argument. And I think we have to look much broader than that, particularly when it comes to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander offenders before the court. It's that we're spending so much more locking people up than what we are to divert them into the community. So I, I don't think it's, it's, you know, the economics just don't stack up in terms of the status quo right now. It's costing us more if we don't change. And I think there's a PwC report that actually clearly articulates this. If nothing is done by 2040, it's going to cost the Australian government, I think, close to $19 billion more in terms of Aboriginal incarceration. Now, in 2018, there was actually a bill put towards the New South Wales Parliament by Labor for the establishment of the Wallama Court. It was voted down by the government. Uh, do you have any thoughts about why the current 
government has no appetite to see the establishment of this system. It's really disappointing, I think, at this stage and hearing that, you know, in, we know in 2018 the current government did push back on that proposal by Labor. You you have to ask yourself, you know, and we all have to ask each other, why is such a reasonable proposal continue to get knocked back by the government? And I think the answer is that this tough on crime facade wins votes. It's all about, about votes and power. And unfortunately, to this day, Aboriginal issues do not win votes. And that's the unfortunate reality that we have to continue to come up against when it when we talk about political ideology and the way in which campaigns have generally been run. But I I do have hope, and I think that it is possible to get this across the line despite what happened in 2018. There are a cross section of the political community I think that is capable of supporting the model. And I do believe that we will get there with further explanation about the model. It might just be that, you know, liberals don't want to be seen as a party campaigning, but if they're a cross-section of the of the politicians, then we could get support for that. It's like, you know, the, the abortion bill in a different context, how that was capable of getting across the line when you start to build a really good cross-section of the political radar. I just think that with the Wallama court proposal, its time has certainly come. We've witnessed this year the Black Lives Matter movement kind of gaining traction around the globe. In Sydney in particular, we saw uh, Sydney siders, both Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal, take to the streets in mass numbers in response to Black Lives Matter but also in response here of what is actually happening in our country, which is the lack of accountability when it comes to Aboriginal deaths in custody. And it's been 30 years since the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody, and so many of those families um, now are still waiting for justice. And I think that in terms of practical responses to these systemic issues, that the government has to act. They can't just rest on their ideology anymore, that Aboriginal people continue to die. And if we continue to allow the system to function as it is, we know it's not working. It's, in fact, killing Aboriginal people. And I think that the most reasonable response for New South Wales to do as a practical step in responding to Black Lives Matter is to establish the Wallama Court as a way forward. And New South Wales have to respond to the federal targets of Close the Gap. And though that were released recently in July from the federal government, there were 16 targets. And the onus now is on New South Wales to step up to the plate and to articulate for our state a way forward into addressing these critical issues. And one of those targets set by the federal government was to reduce Indigenous incarceration by 15%. And that is something that we as a state have to take incredibly serious because this is not just economics and money. This is 
people's lives in our state. And in terms of what this government can do as a way forward is to simply say we accept that we have to actually change the way in which, uh, you know, business is conducted when it comes to the criminal justice system. And the way to do that and to actually demonstrate to the people of New South Wales that they take the close the gap measures seriously and that they're responding to Black Lives Matter here in New South Wales is to establish the Wallama Court. Sheila, you just spoke about the Black Lives Matter march. There may be some people who are listening who would think that marching during a pandemic is irresponsible what would be your response to that i think you know the everyone at that protest took health measures seriously the track record speaks for itself even in light of the protests that occurred in new south wales generally our population has been really strict and really responsive and and taking uh health measures extraordinarily serious i think that's how we have been so successful in new south wales and that you know there there was no further risk posed i would say because the statistics speak for themselves there was not a there was not a peak as a result of them and people were abiding by you know basic health measures wearing masks taking sanitizer I just think that, you know, the the real hard legal and design work with respect to the Wallama Court has certainly been done. This is something that I started with a working group party as as their researcher in I think it was 2015 or 16. And we had started engaging the Aboriginal community at that point around the Wallama court. There is a sound and sophisticated business case stating the case for the Wallama court, articulating the way in which New South Wales will in fact save money as a result of establishing the Wallama court, but also that The time is absolutely now to take seriously the fact that Indigenous people in New South Wales and across the country are disproportionately affected by the criminal process. And I would urge, you know, listeners to contact their local MP or if you're not in New South Wales, just still write to the Premier articulating your support of New South Wales. And I think that... Everything has been done. The real roadblock here is the lack of political will for change. And unfortunately, because Aboriginal people are less than 3% of the population, articulating that forward is difficult. However, it does require really good-willed and good-hearted people to get behind the model and to encourage their local member. It doesn't matter what political party they're from, this should be a really critical issue for all non-Aboriginal people as well, if they're serious about making change in this aspect. Absolutely. And I would encourage all listeners to reach out to their state and federal MPs regarding all of the issues that have been touched on today as well. Now, Tila, before we go, there are three questions that we ask all of our guests on Coogee Voice. 
you have to tell us your favourite beach in the eastern suburbs, the best place to get coffee, and when you're having a hamburger, where would you go? Oh, gosh. Well, I am so biased because I live in Clove Valley. So, of course, for me, the best beaches are Clove Valley or Gordon's Bay. I'm so lucky to live kind of just between both of them. So I get to choose whichever the way the wind's blowing. Then coffee. Oh, there's such good options. I would say the village on Clove Valley Road is the best coffee in town. Love it. And best burger. It'd have to be out of the blue. Out of the blue for sure. Yep. (laughs) Um, Out of the blue probably gets the most amount of shout outs out of all of our listeners. So for those people who haven't eaten from out of the blue, it is definitely, definitely worth the wait. Tila, for non-Aboriginals who would like to accept the invitation uh, of both the statement from the heart as well as the Walama court, where should we go? Great question. Uh, With the Uluru Statement from the Heart, you can virtually just Google it and sign up at ulurustatement.org. There are also really great individual campaigners for that statement if you're on other social media platforms. My name's at Tila Reid on Twitter. There's really great names as well, like Professor Megan Davis from UNSW. Follow those platforms. And for the Wallama Court, I would urge you to do the most simple thing, which is right now, get your laptops out, find your local member's email and write to them to say you support the Wallama Court. But yeah, keep updated with the things I'm doing online. Wonderful. Tila, thank you so much for joining us on Coogee Voice. Thank you so much for having me. 